I'm Helen Scales. And I'm Shay Rhodes. And this is Earth Unscrewed. This living planet of ours is absolutely incredible. But we're really not looking after it, are we? It appears our daily lives are taking a serious toll on this wondrous place that we call home. So in this podcast, we're going to be looking at new ways of doing things that might be a bit more sustainable and could help fix the problems. And hopefully unscrew the planet. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Earth Unscrewed. One common thread that's been running all through this series is the idea of renewability, getting more than one use out of our vital resources. Exactly. And that's really uplifting, actually, because no one's trying to say that you should stop doing this or that. It's more about how do we do it in a more efficient, sustainable way. Absolutely. And today we're going to learn about a new piece of tech that's making one of our most vital resources on Earth renewable. And it might not be what you expect. Renewable energy, we all think about that as renewable electricity, really, right? So solar, wind, batteries. But really, 80% of all the energy we humans deploy every year is stuff. So if we're going to off-ramp kind of the trajectory on climate and at the same time lift people up, What's this other bucket of all the stuff? And could we get to a place of not just renewable energy as electricity, but renewable resources? When we think about the stuff you buy and the embedded energy there, the food you eat and the water you drink, which of those is most critical? I would argue that drinking water is not only a very scarce thing on this planet, but if you could make it renewable and highly distributed and infrastructure-free, you could fundamentally change the world. If we could do for water what solar did for electricity, namely that you could take this module and go put it anywhere on the planet and the sun comes up and electricity comes out, right? If we could take a similar panel module, you put it anywhere on the planet and sunlight goes in and air goes in and water comes out and that water is perfect no matter where that panel was, that that could change the world. got me really excited there me too yeah that really could change the world the idea actually of putting water into it yeah having a panel that produces water does completely reset everything doesn't it absolutely and you've got this idea of water at least i do as a scientist i guess of water being part of this enormous cycle of where it comes from and how it evaporates and rains and and it's all a kind of a global process But ultimately, we have to consume it on a local level. We Mm. have to, you know, each of us needs to drink and use water in our daily lives. Mm. And how do we get to that water that we use? And we have so much stuff in our lives. I did like that idea as well, this sort of thinking of the other things. So I guess in summary, this new tech is turning air and sunlight into clean drinking water. And I guess it's kind of like a man-made cloud. Mm. What are they going to come up with next? Could it be water into wine? <laughs> if only. But uh, actually, maybe. when you think about it, when I, when I get off the plane in the tropics, it is like stepping into a cloud. It's so humid. And like my skin immediately reacts to the, to the moisture. And when you look at buildings, cars, anything that's outside in the tropics for a long time, there's clearly a lot of water in the air. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
a man-made cloud or a cloud is, is not a wrong way to look at it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it does work, doesn't it? Well, anyway, back to that voice that we've just been listening to at the top of the show. That is the person behind this man-made cloud, otherwise known as Cody Friesen. Cody is the CEO and founder of Zero Mass Water. I'm like this extreme type A personality that's like been working on myself for a long time to not be as extreme type A personality. And a big part of the self-image of winning and, and trying to drive and strive for things, right? Push me through MIT. And then I got the offer to be a professor when I was 25 years old and started building that academic career. And as I climbed up, got tenure and kept pushing, you sort of get to that top of that ivory tower and you look around and you realize like, oh, wait, that's all there is here is exclusivity and a tower full of knowledge. And so the question is, is how do you really go start stepping down from that tower to take that knowledge base and deploy it to the world? How do you rethink academia? How do you rethink technology entrepreneurship? How do you rethink where, in the broader sense, the brain trust that we develop as humans, how do we think about using that brain trust to solve some of the most fundamental problems. And so I've spent the last 15 years trying to climb back down from that ivory tower and think about how do we take something from the bench to early prototype to early, like sort of minimum viability product to a product that does something that feels like magic to people who are first hearing about it, but is absolutely unassailable in its capabilities. And then go change the world with that in a way that is purely about lifting people up. Because the thing that I've come to realize in that whole process is that the technology part is a tiny fraction of the solution, maybe 2%. The other 98% is the people, the communities, the people you need to engage with to Lego block, click those two things together, the technology and the people to arrive at a solution that actually solves people's problems. And to do that in a way that is highly scalable so that you don't have to keep reinventing every single time you approach a new village or work with a new city or work with a new community. Gosh, that's a huge idea, isn't it? The idea of taking academia and making it more relevant to ordinary everyday life it shouldn't be as huge as it is but it is it's, it's a massive yeah it's interesting I, yeah i did kind of like this idea of climbing down the tower mm. and bringing things back into the world i mean things do filter down from sort of you know the more blue skies research and thinking that, that academics do but to have a guy sort of specifically realized that he was sort of limited up there and mm. wanted to kind of really figure out a way of engaging yeah. and making something really happen exactly making something happen in the real world yeah and of course Clean drinking water is a really pressing issue, more so now than ever before. Just as an example, uh, there's been a 55% drop in the amount of globally available fresh water per capita since 1960, which is huge when you think about it. That's crazy. So half. Mm, There's half as much water per person as there was in 1960. To think that we haven't, we don't feel that in our lives tells you a lot about what's going wrong. Somewhere else as well, I yeah. guess. I mean, I don't know if that, what that figure holds in terms of different parts of the world too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Between now and 2050, water demands are expected to increase by 400% from manufacturing and by 130% from household use. It's that manufacturing figure as well that's really crazy. Mm. 
And I guess it's a bit like the idea of how much energy is encapsulated in things that we use. There's also all that hidden water behind yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the food we eat, oh, that's the obvious one. But I'm sure there's loads of other processes that involve water yeah, that we yeah. have no you idea that. about. And that's on the, on the rise. Mm. Well, here's Cody again to explain how actually it's a bit more complicated than you might think. When the typical person thinks about water... They tend to think about the others or people in the emerging markets while telling you how great their water is while drinking out of a bottle of high-end bottled water, right? The lack of recognition that actually them buying that bottled water is, is the definition of water stress, that, that what otherwise comes to them in a tap isn't great, right? And so it's really a human condition and sort of a global condition. The reality is that the majority of the planet, uh, the majority of humans on the planet don't have potable water to their homes. Think about all of India, all of Mexico, huge swaths of the U.S. that don't drink the water that comes out of their tap, even though there's been a great deal of effort put into creating a potable supply at the, at the treatment plant. But then it goes into the infrastructure and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's going to happen if we don't solve this problem in some fundamental way is it will continue to get worse by 2030, we will only have 60% of the fresh water we need on the planet for all the things that we do with it. And it's already something less than 100%, which is a problem. And if you look at just the drinking water side of it, just the potable water side of that, the problem is much, much worse. You can think about that through a few lenses, right? You can think about, oh, well, that's the government has failed or the infrastructure is failing or poor decision-making. But I think it's actually at a like a slightly deeper level and it's sort of around the fundamental properties of water that make it hard when you think about any other infrastructure let's take electricity or telecom you go to establish a new city you just bring that infrastructure you go build a power plant you do this 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 and then you have the infrastructure however with water it's a natural resource it's either there or it's not and if it is there, it's under, it might have, let's say, arsenic in it, or it might have certain pathogens in it. And so it's all about what's there and then cleaning it up, right? And then maintaining it as clean. And so that sets a different condition because you're not starting with a clean slate. You're starting with a natural resource that has certain properties. If you think about the fact that water dissolves calcium and magnesium, the stuff you want in your body, it does that because it has certain properties. It also dissolves then lead and arsenic and mercury and all the other things that could be problematic. It's the stuff of life. You drink it because it's healthy for you, but it's also the stuff of all life. Think about all the pathogens, E. coli and Ebola and all the other things that need water to survive. And we have to somehow keep those things from growing before we put it in our body. Right? So those two things by itself make water hard. And then, like we said already, it's locally finite. It's either there or it isn't. You can't move it vast distances without a lot of energy input to move it. And then finally, it's not so easy to move around because it's wet and heavy. You have to pump it and it can't leak out and all those things, right? So those four things make it just like this mass customization problem everywhere on the planet. And so if you really want to solve water, you have to solve all four of those issues. I guess just listening to that made me think how even when I visit countries where 
you know, you can't turn the tap on and expect to drink that water or even clean your teeth with it without it mm. being a bit scary. Or you're told, you know, don't do that. But I don't really think about why that is. Mm. I just assume it's full of stuff I shouldn't be putting into my body. But why is it there? Mm. And, and what are the challenges of getting that water to that tap in a condition that here in the UK you're absolutely fine with? Yeah. Well, at least you should be. Most people are fine with drinking the water that comes out of the taps. But why is it in, you know, so many other countries it's not... And as he said, you know, there are these four different cool things. It's mm-hmm. big and heavy and you've got to move it around and there's other things that grow in the water mm-hmm. and you've got to get rid of those. I kept on thinking about Flint in Michigan, which yes. uh, famously had water that was uh, full of lead yeah. from the pipes mm. that were used to kind of bring it from A to B. As he says, it's heavy, it's liquid, it needs to be transported and that's difficult. So some infrastructure was built, you know, decades ago and it's now turned out that that's not up to scratch. And this is in America, you know. Yeah. So you can imagine in, in many parts of the world they've got similar problems. So let's start in the situation with the most jeopardy, which is where you don't have any drinking water source at all. You're in the desert, there's a drought, all the local rivers have dried up, Ray Mears isn't there to teach you how to suck liquid out of lizards or something. Um, that, that's always where he gets his water from. You're like, that's just cheating, mate. That's blood. That's, blood. that's not water. Ooh. But anyway, what do you do in that situation? What do you do? A terrifying situation when there's no water. Well, funny, you should ask. Over to Cody. We call the product source hydropanels. And source hydropanels are really intended to solve all four of those challenges associated with what water dissolves what grows in water, whether or not water exists where you're at, and having to move water. And by solving for all four of those things at once, now you can think about honing an individual technology that then can be deployed anywhere. Inside of source hydropanels is a material that absorbs water from the atmosphere, and it does that very quickly. So probably the there's lots of materials in your life that do this, right? So think about a sugar bowl in your home and you leave that lid off. What happens to that sugar over time, right? The sugar starts to get a little clumpy, maybe a little sticky. And what's happening there is the sugar is actually absorbing water vapor from the atmosphere. And so that sugar is absorbing that water and it would do that whether you're in London or Phoenix. So materials tend to come to equilibrium with the water that's in the air, right? The air is very wet on this planet, whether you're in the desert or in a more humid environment. So now imagine a nanostructured material that just does that, but very fast. And then it has sort of the Goldilocks, if you will, of binding energy. So it's not binding the water so strongly that it's hard to get back off, and it's not binding so weakly that we can't take up water when it's very dry out. So we first started with the development of those materials. Then wrapping that with the capability to use sunlight to take the water back out of those materials and then produce a condition that's very similar to when, for example, you walk out of your home and there's dew on leaves. And you sort of maybe ask the question, like, what happened there? Why, like, why is there liquid water on this leaf? And the very generic answer is, oh, well, you went through the dew point, so then for you get dew. Well, there's a really cool bit of science that's going on in the background there in Mother Nature that's producing that. And so we borrow that principle. And so passively now, these source hydropanels are doing that process hundreds of times throughout the day, whether it's in the Middle East, or it's in Indonesia, or it's in India, 
or really anywhere. And now, when people drink it, they're going to be better off as a result. And that's it. At least with a source panel, I wouldn't have to worry about being dehydrated in the desert. I love this. It's making me think about how how there are so many amazing other species other than humans that have evolved ways of surviving in some mm. really extreme environments, the mm. desert including. And they have evolved amazing abilities to basically get by without any drinking water mm -hmm. and sort of ways of coping with all of the things your body has to do without that. And I know we're not talking about evolving ourselves, but it just feels like another extension of being able to survive in, in conditions that otherwise yeah, would be very difficult. We do mm. need water, but you can find it and we can find smart ways mm. of getting hold of it and making it in a form that, that's usable and it's going to keep us alive yeah. anywhere. Well, it's biomimicry, isn't it? It's looking at, as you say, all these animals and plants that already know how to do this and trying to copy them. But ultimately, this is a piece of tech that could completely change the way we access drinking water in the future. And that's what Cody's really looking at. When we think about the challenges that we're facing on this planet, whether it's climate change or pollution, water table being drawn down, all of these issues, the fundamental drive, in my view, is that we're thinking about our next generation or five generations down the path or 10 generations down the path. What are we leaving for them? We've so severely screwed up the planet to this point that it's hard to see even the next generation how they're going to live in as beautiful a planet as we were born into. And so we have to get really after this concept of unscrewing the planet in a way that allows for more distributed resources and those resources being deployed in a way that doesn't invoke dramatically more natural resource extraction and effluence and stuff that, you know, otherwise you would have just sent downstream and let it flow out to the ocean and forget about it. We have to undo that in a way that is something that people want. Because as we know, people in real time can be pretty selfish and in hindsight can be really thoughtful. And so how do we benefit people in their selfish motives so that in hindsight, they can realize how much better off they are and continue down that path? Something like source hydropanels enables people to live better today. And I mean, individuals live better today so that they can become better educated. I want that number of women fetching water to be zero in Africa, unless they want to go fetch water because they want to spend more time with other women, which I know that's, we've already seen that, that in some places people, there's an element of culture there. But what is that balance? of providing people with 21st century technology and then letting them have agency to make their own decisions about their life, as opposed to they're walking for water because that's their only choice. And by the way, when they get that water, it's going to make them sick. If we can do that, right, that means that we've done something like that or the variant of that in every other place on the planet. Just because we have sort of started to eliminate information poverty, or we started to decrease energy poverty, water poverty is getting worse. 
and pollution related issues is gonna to continue to get worse until we can unwind that through technology. Technology for social equity. Technology that's designed for people to do better. And technology that's designed to scale. And if we can't do that with a brain trust that we've built, we will never unscrew the planet. And so getting more people thinking in that way is one of, one of the things that I'm particularly excited about. definitely need more people like Cody, people who are passionate about taking what they know and making it relevant to everyday people. To all the rest of us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what really made me think in that last section when he was talking about energy poverty and mm. uh, an information poverty kind of getting better, but water poverty getting worse. And just this idea that solving access to water has so many ramifications that's been offered. In terms of people's everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just remembering things like we've talked, I'm sure, before about how when people get more reliable access to electricity, then it, it allows people to study at home or children to, you know, do their homework and spend longer at home um, reading and learning things. And just to imagine what changing your access to water, how that's going to change people's lives as well. Well, thank you very much for listening to Earth Unscrewed. If you've enjoyed listening to any of the themes in this episode, then we've included some links in the description. To find out more about the magical tech that's making water out of air, follow Cody and the team at Zero Mass Water. That's zero spelled Z-E-R-O. To follow the series, don't forget to subscribe. And please remember to rate and review. It really helps us to get these incredible stories out there. Until next time, I'm Helen Scales. And I'm Shay Rhodes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.